Welcome to WFUV's What's What. It's Monday, June 5th. What's What is a daily podcast that explores current events, culture, and news in the New York Tri-State area. And includes features and interviews exclusively from WFUV. I'm Ben Oppenheimer. And I'm Jaya Joyce. And here's what's going on around the city. This morning, Mayor Adams made an announcement concerning the influx of asylum seekers in the city. We have WFUV's Christina Lulich here to tell us more. Today, Mayor Adams announced that faith-based leaders and organizations will help asylum seekers by providing them with shelter, food, and clothing. The city's teaming up with New York Disaster Interface Services. It's a two-year partnership that will allow up to 50 houses of worship or faith-based spaces to offer overnight shelter to 19 single adult men in each location. This initiative alone will help a 1,000 migrants. Did Adams say why the city decided to turn to faith leaders? Well, Ben, Adams was saying New York City faith communities have always been in the mix. We've seen mosques, churches, and synagogues help out with many different crises across the five boroughs. This partnership will not just provide migrants with basic necessities, but it'll also allow them to be integrated into communities. Uh, They love the city. They want to work in the city. And they want to be part of a community and network in the city. And that's what the faith-based institutions are going to do. And Christina, did Mayor Adams talk about what's next to come? He said New York needs more federal help in addressing the situation. As of May 31st, Adams says the city has spent $1.2 billion on the migrant crisis. While the U.S. allocated about $40 million to New York, it's only enough to pay for five days. The mayor also asked for the country to declare a national state of emergency, but we'll see how things continue to unfold. Thanks, Christina. Yeah, thanks for having me. The MTA is coming up with new solutions to prevent fare evasion. That's because fare evaders have become an almost $700 million problem for the Transit Authority. The MTA has plans to better police its buses where it says most fare evasion occurs. But the agency also says cracking down on fares might not even be the right approach at all. That's right, Jaya. The MTA also wants to beef up its existing program that subsidizes the cost of public transportation for low-income New Yorkers. The agency hopes that'll make the subway accessible for all riders. It's summertime, which means the mosquitoes are out and starting to take over. But not this year in New York City. Starting on Thursday morning, the health department will spray non-residential areas across the boroughs with an aerial pesticide. It'll reduce mosquito activity in the city. The treatment also has another purpose, to curb the spread of West Nile virus in New York City. The city is planning to spray lower-risk pesticides across residential areas in the following months. To avoid pesticide exposure this week, the health department is advising New Yorkers to stay inside while the treatments are being dispersed. You can find more information on the treatment times at nyc.gov. You might have heard of Coachella and South by Southwest, but a new festival in New Jersey wants to become the next big thing. Lovers of music, comedy, film, and tech are looking forward to the North Shore Festival coming to the Garden State this week. It'll feature hometown artists along with some of the world's biggest stars. Among the 220 acts are Demi Lovato, Stephen Colbert, and the B-52s. The festival will take place in Atlantic City, Asbury Park, and Newark, and will run until the end of June. For more information and how to get tickets, you can visit northtoshore.com. On this day in 1988, 
The Phantom of the Opera won seven Tony Awards, including Best Musical. The critically acclaimed rock opera just wrapped up its 35-year run on Broadway in April. It's the longest-running show ever on Broadway. Every month, WFUV Sports Spotlights highlight a figure about their experiences within the sports industry. In this month's Sports Spotlight, WFUV Samantha Borer and Maddie Bamonte speak with ESPN's Emily Coplin, a reporter and sports writer for the National Hockey League. Coplin talks about her experience working in the NHL and gives up-and-coming sportscasters some advice on how to break into the industry. I guess just to start off, you know, how did you get your start in reporting and what were some of the early motivators for you in your career? I mean, early motivators that I'm a middle child and I had middle child complex and I thought my dad hated me. So inherently to get closer to him, um, I chose the field that he was in when I was growing up. He was a Sunday sports editor at the New York Daily News. Writing always came a little bit easier to me. I loved sports and I just became singularly focused on being a sports writer. I went to Penn State because they had a sports journalism major. I took every internship that I could and that got me a job at Sports Illustrated at age 22, which looking back now, I'm like, holy cow, that's pretty special and pretty unique. You know, at Penn State, I was always part of student media. I made a lot of sacrifices on weekends and, you know, just the hours that I put in. So those type of reps definitely helped me get to where I am today. I remember watching you during the Stanley Cup finals and to see another woman reporter was so great for me because I rarely get to see them nowadays, especially on the main stage for so many men's sports. And while the coverage was happening, I know that you got a lot of criticism from some people on the internet. Um, So I'm just wondering, how do you deal with criticism as a reporter and how do you let it motivate you and not get to you? Yeah. So last year was like the first year I was regularly on national television and it was eye opening for me. So, you know, at first I'm such an like feedback oriented person. I was trying to take in all that I could and see what people said, um, but that was super unhealthy. And you can't let other people's perception of you become your perception of you. And I did a lot of soul searching and now I'm in a place where it doesn't matter what fans think, quite frankly. Like, obviously I'm there to serve them and I want them to think that I'm doing a good job and I'm adding value to their viewing experience. But like, it's not necessarily my job for them to like me or understand where I'm coming at. But when you take in all of that feedback, it can really mess with you. And then it leads you to try to please people. And that stays you away from being authentic. And I think the one thing that really comes through um, for the best people, what they do is that they're authentically themselves. And that's what I strive to be. As women in sports and Maddie and I have also talked about this. Did you feel that, you know, some of the criticism you got was a little bit different than maybe what your counterparts had gotten and more prominent than like what you've seen other professionals in your line of work receive? I think there's certain aspects um, just of society that are inherently sexist, quite frankly. Like one thing that people get on me a lot was for my voice. Oh, she's vocal fry. I'm like, well, vocal fry is inherently something that is common amongst millennial women. So inherently that means that you just don't like the millennial woman voice. Um, Like I never really hear when men have like nasally voices, like them kind of getting on them for that. Um, so, so certain aspects of it, I do think there's just like a hint of misogyny and a hint of sexism too. Trolls are going to be trolls and they'll find anything to uh, criticize you for. Uh, you've been in the industry for a while now that you mentioned Sports Illustrated back when you turned 22. So how do you constantly find new and exciting things to report on so you don't get tired with reporting? I think curiosity is your best asset. If you're a reporter, um, you always have to ask why. You know, I think one of my best assets when I started covering hockey was that I covered the NFL beforehand. And so when I came into a locker room, I was just like, wait, that seems different. I'm like, you guys do it this way. And I keep asking questions. 
One thing I constantly do, I'm calling people all of the time. Um, my job, I, I sometimes say, is to be a respectful pest. Um, but it's also about building relationships and just building conversations around the game. And you never know who's going to say something that piques your interest. So I try to make three calls a day. Like, that's always my my mantra. Now, we're kind of running towards the end of our interview. But what advice can you give to a young broadcaster who wants to get a start in the industry but just might not know how? The one mantra, again, that I always think is be a respectful pest. There's only two things in the world that you can control. It's how you treat other people and how hard you work. When I took the job covering hockey, I didn't know anybody. And I literally made an Excel spreadsheet. I think it's the last time I opened an Excel spreadsheet. But with a bunch of names of agents and coaches and GMs and teams and tracked down all these PR people's numbers and just started cold calling them saying, hi, I'm Emily and I want to cover the league and I want to do it well. And I just want you to get to know you and that type of thing. And, and just building those type of reps will go a long way. That was WFUV Samantha Borer and Maddie Bamonte speaking with Emily Coplin from ESPN. And that's our show for today. I'm Jaya Joyce. And I'm Ben Oppenheimer. Check back with us tomorrow around 3 o'clock for more news, music, culture, and sports. And tell your friends so they can find WFUV's What's What at WFUVnews.org and wherever you get your podcasts.